This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. As we mentioned, there are many people trying to wrap their head around Donald Trump as president. The questions, in many cases, could be too numerous to run through. There are many questions as to how good of a president he will be. To take a look at Trump, we call on Jonathan Moreno, who is a bioethicist here at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress in Washington, D.C. Jonathan, great to have you joining us today. Hi, Dan. Happy to be here. Doing well. Donald Trump is president. How did that sound to you on Wednesday morning? Well, my politics are, are no secret. Uh, it was, uh, I took a day to lick my wounds, and I woke up this morning uh, and started writing about the implications in my particular area of interest, which uh, you know is bioethics and health policy. Um, I have a, a, a kind of default position that I've uh, developed in the last three hours, Dan. Yeah. Um, the default position is, about in general, I think you have to look at the Trump administration uh, at, at baseline as, as basically a conservative Republican administration, a pretty traditional one, um, with certain important deviations. Uh, so, for example, um, in terms of, uh, of Obamacare, um, I think that he will do what conservative Republicans have wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, which is... Uh, replace it with some kind of voucher system if he can. I, I, the, the, tech, the technical aspect of that is going to be difficult, but their goal is going to be to uh, to replace it. Um, in terms of my field, bioethics, um, a, an interesting question is whether anybody in the administration will care about those questions. I think the one person who will care uh, is is Dr. Ben Carson, who may be Secretary of Health, of, uh, Health and Human Services because Dr. Carson was on President Bush's Bioethics Council. Um, I suspect that that's an area, again, in which there will be a pretty traditional conservative Republican approach, uh, and that um, if certain issues come up that interest them, for example, issues you and I have talked about on, uh, on other shows like gene editing and cloning and so forth, those, those cutting-edge um, laboratory science right. issues, that they will attempt to uh, insert themselves and take a position on federal funding and maybe discouraging uh, private research that is beyond the reach of federal uh, financing. So um, that's my default, you know, that we're going to see, uh, at least with respect to these kinds of questions, a pretty conservative Republican administration. Remember, Mm -hmm. this is somebody who is not a a career politician. Right. Uh, He doesn't really know how the system works in Washington. Who's it going to turn to? I think he's going to turn to his vice president, and he's going to turn to conservative uh, leadership in the House and the Senate. Uh, and uh, much perhaps six months, a year from now, to the disappointment of many of his followers, he will not be able to deliver, uh, at least in a precise way, on some of the things that he said over the last year and a half. You bring up an interesting point in the fact that now with him uh, going to be president of the United States, I think that in order for him to be successful, the people he surrounds himself with are going to be maybe one of his most important decisions in the early parts of his run-up to the inauguration. I think that is very much true. Um, the, the, even for a, a, an old hand uh, in government like Hillary Clinton, there's just too much get, to get your arms around. Right. Uh, it's so complicated. You have thousands of appointments happening in the first few months. There are so many issues around, around government 
that uh, you just have to rely on your upper-level managers to, to find mid-level political managers. And, and, and so I think they are going to have a big challenge in that respect. And again, I think the pace will be set by people like Newt Gingrich and Jeff Sessions uh, and, uh, and, and Chris Christie, if he does manage to stay out of trouble uh, with the law and, and, and uh, end up in the administration, uh, and Rudy Giuliani, those, right. those people, Mike Flynn and the Defense Department, those people will be setting the pace. You will have, this is out a little bit out of my area, but since you allowed me some airtime, I will say I think the immigration issue, for example, the Muslim ban, he, he's going to either walk away from those yeah. as they already are, uh, or he is going to find symbolic ways of building a wall and making the Mexicans pay for it, like uh, modifying a payment of some kind, uh, of a fund transfer to the Mexican government from the U.S. government. There are various ways to make it look as though it was paid for. And frankly, from what I gather, um, most of the people who voted for him didn't really care about the reality of that issue so much as they did the rhetoric of it. You also uh, talk about, and to a degree, it almost appears like, from the Donald Trump that we saw during the run-up to the election mm-hmm. to the one we have seen uh, at least in the first day or two in terms of meeting with President Obama and, and meeting with uh, Speaker Ryan, uh, and, and obviously that's a very small piece to what we will see, uh, he has to change his his mindset, his philosophy, uh, almost doing a complete 180 in order to be a successful president. You know, I think that uh, that um, the kind of personality type you have to have to do to expose yourself to the process that they these people go through uh, is one in which, um, at some level, you have to be pretty cynical about the process. In 1988, let's remember George H. W. Bush held his first press conference after he defeated Mike Dukakis, and he was asked about some of the tough things he had said like the Willie Horton revolving door and so forth. Yeah. And he said, well, that was, that was the campaign. This is, this is now. And people were really taken aback by that. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, Donald Trump is thinking, and Lord knows I don't have any insight into Donald Trump's <laughs> brain, but I'm thinking he's thinking, well, it's a different ballgame now. Uh, you know, I'm negoti- as he said, I'm the negotiator. You take one position uh, when you're at the table. And then when you're at another table, you take another position as needed. I will say, though, that you did do an interesting piece recently in the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. looking, wanting to kind of look at Donald Trump's brain. And it was, it was very interesting to read that and, and see some of the things that, that you brought up in that article. Well, look, I said in that article that he, uh, he is a role player and uh, he has developed a certain character. Now and, and that character is one in which it, it turns out, uh, to his benefit, he couldn't abandon during the campaign because, let's face it, it worked for him. Right. Now the question is, is he able to assume a new role uh, and, and, and all the behavior that goes with it? So everybody's going to be looking at that with great interest. Um, will he go off, you know, uh, the, uh, half-cocked the way he did on his Twitter feed or before a large audience? I think the I, I'm I'm on the fence about that. I think we'll just have to wait and see. You also uh, brought something up in another piece, something called the Goldwater Rule. And for those people that uh, that have uh, not heard of that, please go into exactly what it is and and how it applies here. Yeah. So during the uh, campaign, um, one of my colleagues, the ch- the the chair of psychiatry at Penn, and also the 
current president of the American Psychiatric Association, sent a, a memo to all members of the American Psychiatric Association reminding them that um, since uh, that hundreds of psychiatrists diagnosed Barry Goldwater in a pretty obscure magazine in 1964, uh, there has been a rule, understanding in the American Psychiatric Association, that long-distance diagnosis of of people you haven't ever seen and never given you their permission to to talk about their diagnosis, that should not be done. Uh, so that that that's what's called the Goldwater Rule. So you saw uh, many of people dancing around the Goldwater Rule. Many psychiatrists and and psychologists, who by the way, psychologists were not prohibited by their organization from doing diagnosis, but you did see people. Um, averring to a uh, perhaps some kind of a narcissistic personality disorder. Right. Um, so, you know, what do those what do those people say now? Nobody wants to be in the position of of diagnosing a new president with the psychopathology. We all hope for you know for his success, as President Obama said, because that his success will ultimately be the country's success. Um, so, um, I think you know we're going to just have to bracket that. Uh, as as George H. W. Bush said, that was the campaign. This is now. Jonathan Moreno joining us here on our uh, business radio special, a bioethicist here at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it is interesting that as we move along here in the process and, and get ready for Mr. Trump to be the the next president of the United States, that at least in the short term. Uh, and it, we've seen it here at the University of Pennsylvania. There have been many students that have been very concerned about what could potentially be, uh, you know, ahead for them and their families, especially ones that have uh, that have relatives that are from other countries. Uh, it, it's interesting how it has taken on a very unique dynamic on this college campus, and I'm sure on many college campuses across the United States. Yes, I was just near a metro station uh, in Washington, and uh, a parade of two dozen high school kids went by me with placards, uh, um, and they're on their way to the White House to to uh, protest. Uh, you've never seen that before. I think that I will not sugarcoat the uh, the the problems that parents of small children have in talking to them about things that the new president has said about human beings. Um, but uh, I, I think the. The most important question is now, how does he behave, and does he start to walk some of that back? Um, look, I think um, I think we're in a very you know a very emotional and angry time. We're a deeply divided country. Um, I, I I do think we will see some attempt already. There are indications of attempts by his people uh, to move away from that kind of language, but I can't right. I can't uh, I can't say it can, it will be easily forgotten. Uh, and actions will, will be more important than words at this point. Well, and, and he, he obviously made in his statement after uh, receiving the concession call from, from Hillary Clinton on uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, that one of his goals was to try and bring the country together. And as you alluded to, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And obviously, in this digital age that we live in, people have all kinds of videos and, and remember very well some of the things that have been said over the last 18 months. Yes, and, I, and young people especially pay attention to those videos. I, I will say that I think for this devastated Democratic Party to rebuild, a very smart thing for them to do, which they did not do well, in my opinion, in this campaign, is reach out to those younger voters uh, and potential voters, people who will be able to vote for the first time in 2018 when the d- Democrats are going to be defending a lot of seats in the Senate, for example. Right. Uh, they need to find, though they need to reach out to those kids, 
uh, who all, they undervoted as far as the Democrats were concerned, but two-thirds of them voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, so they need to reach out to people who are even younger than voting age. And, and I think there is an, a dynamic there that they can call on. The problem is they need to call on it without being you know, divisive right. uh, and, and undermining an opportunity, as, as Hillary Clinton said, to, you know, to give the president the benefit of the doubt. I will have you put your crystal ball on for uh, uh, look at the crystal ball for a second. It, we're looking at the first hundred days. Uh, what do you think will happen? What do you think needs to happen for Donald Trump to get off on the right note? Well, he's going to have to nominate a Supreme Court justice. Um, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Judge Garland is not going to be the new member of the Supreme Court, uh, and and that will I, I don't see any way that that will not happen. Um, although um, Chuck Schumer, the most powerful Democrat in the country now, will is, is a brilliant parliamentarian, and he will find ways with his substantial minority in the Senate to make that difficult, uh, to make it difficult for a very conservative judge to be appointed to the bench. Um, but that'll be a firestorm. Uh, they will have to do something about the border. Uh, again, I think it will be largely uh, uh, symbolic and rhetorical, right. but they will have to do something. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Trade, that's finished. Uh, what they will do about climate, the climate change treaties, very interesting question. They may do less than people think uh, on, on the other side of that question. Uh, relations with Russia, relations with China. Um, he's going to be sending a lot of messages very quickly, and he's going to see, apparently, Theresa May very soon. Um, he will align himself, to some extent, with the uh, anti-immigrant sentiment of Europe, but he will try to do that. It's my, this is my guess. He was, since you asked, in a way uh, that does not further inflame feelings at home. There is also uh, his relationship with, uh, with with Canada and with Mexico and the NAFTA deal, and obviously that has been a point of, of emphasis by Mr. Trump uh, in in the run up to uh, the election the other day. Uh, and I think a lot of people are wondering. One, why uh, would he want to do that, since we're talking about the, the two countries uh, closest to us? But two, if he was doing that, how would he do that? Yeah, I, again, I think, I think there'll, there'll be more talk than action. Uh, right. You know, I, I remember visiting Sweden in, in 1983 or 84, well into President Reagan's first term, and a Swedish colleague expressed grave uh, anxiety to me about the things that President Reagan had said about military conflict and this uh, very aggressive tone about foreign policy. Uh, and I said, look, uh, his bark is worse than his bite. And then, right. you know, a few years later, only, only, only Reagan can ma- uh, make a deal with Gorbachev. So um, uh, the human personality is, is infinitely complex. Uh, how, how skillful they are at sending a, um, a, a different levels of message will be very interesting because, again, I think their actions will be less extreme than the language. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Enjoy that. Take care. Thank you. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Moreno, a bioethicist here at the University of Pennsylvania. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.